0: Hello, and welcome to Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria skobe your host, and you are listening to episode 41. In this episode, I'm talking to Emily Garza, Area Vice President of Customer Success at Fastly and the founder of Value CS with Emily. We start with her background in sales and sales enablement as a great stepping stone for customer success. Emily is passionate about building teams from scratch and she's done it few times throughout her career. So, she is sharing some tips for team learning and coaching and how to create your brag sheet If you didn't know what it is, stay tuned. Being a coach at Catalyst Coaching Corner, Emily is also sharing her ideas on coaching and mentoring in general. And we discuss the ever-important question. Can mentoring actually help your career? And how can you influence it? So, let's get into it. it a pleasure to welcome Emily Garza, AVP of Customer Success at Fastly. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Emily, as you probably know, I always like to start podcasts with my guests telling me a bit about their backgrounds and your stories. So the question for you as well, what's the story that you want the listeners to hear about your career?
1: I started my career in sales. It was... One of the easiest jobs to get out of college and really didn't know exactly what it meant, what it was really going to look like in terms of a B2B environment. But I was able to go through a training program. I started my career at ATT. So it was really structured and able to get just a really good understanding of how do you approach working with a customer and this idea of consultative sales. And I, went through a bunch of different career changes at AT AT&T, all really in the customer-facing world, so sales, business development, account management, and then I decided to make a transition more into the startup world. I had since moved to San Francisco, and for anyone who either lives or has been to the Bay Area, kind of understand that allure of the startup world, I initially started by doing a sales enablement role. So it was a departure in terms of the focus, but it was branching off of what I knew from sales and actually being that support mechanism for the organization. And I did that for just under two years. And as I was going through that experience, I learned a lot of things, but I also realized how much I missed talking to customers. And when the opportunity came to actually start a customer-facing customer success role at Fastly, I raised my hand. I was really interested. And since then, have been able to grow and develop the organization. Amazing. And when you say
0: you managed to develop your organization, it just sounds that it happened just like that so quickly. <laughs> I'm sure there have been loads of things, and great opportunities, successes, and then challenges on the way. So let's unpack it a bit. You said you've been doing sales, business development, and account management. For the listeners who might be in some similar positions or thinking how to enter customer success, very often we hear that sales is really a good stepping stone to it. So how would you describe those differences between account management, business development, and sales,
1: and how can that really prepare you to customer success role? A lot of people might start their career in a sales world. And I think it's an important skill to have to be able to carry a quota and be responsible for that. But it's also not for everyone. It can be really stressful, right? It's a very much what have you done for me lately type of world. But you do get a lot of that customer and relationship building experience. So I think coming out of the different evolutions of my career at ATT, I started to look at what pieces of the role do I really enjoy. And it started to become clear to me that it was building that long-term relationship and being able to go back and say, hey, you were trying to solve this challenge and here's a creative way we can do that. And really getting to understand the customer's business. And as someone who may be in sales or business development, some customer facing role that's not exactly customer success. It's thinking through what are those both activities within their role today that they really enjoy, as well as the skill set that they bring. Are they a really good negotiator? Are they really good at training? Because I think one of the fun things about customer success is there's so many different definitions and ways that the role is displayed and carried out at various companies that if you're a person who loves that negotiation piece, then maybe a customer success role that has a renewal or a growth component to it is going to be a good fit. If you really like that training and enablement piece, then maybe a customer success role that's more focused on onboarding and ongoing engagement and enablement might be a better fit. So I think there's so many different flavors that you can really find where you best fit and where you can succeed. This is such a beautiful
0: explanation of customer success. Yeah, indeed, so many different flavors of it. And each flavor depends on the structure of success department within the organization, but also on the product. If you have quite a nice easy to use simple product of course that customer success can train can enable Mm -hmm. customers can even renew it can really hold that full life cycle of the customer so i really like that flavoring of customer success what is the best flavor of customer success for you in which
1: flavor do you enjoy the most this is a topic I feel very, very passionately about. For me, it's really something that has a revenue component. The way that our team is structured at Fastly has evolved over the last couple of years where the team was responsible overall for revenue of the accounts that we worked with. And this year we've actually added a growth component to that as well. And I think you can go either way of whether you include the growth component or not, but I do think that the revenue component is so critical because once you start owning and being responsible for revenue, you start to get a seat at the table. Oftentimes customer success or a lot of post-sales functions tend to be treated as kind of the second-class citizen. Sales gets all the glory, and sales is a hard job. So they, they should get the acknowledgement, but not at the expense of other groups. And I think being able to be responsible for a large chunk of revenue, and as the company continues to grow, that chunk of revenue that is associated with existing accounts gets bigger and bigger. So your responsibility and actually impact on the business gets bigger and bigger. That's huge for having a seat at the table, having a voice in how to drive customer feedback and decisions.
0: Wow. I've never thought of it in that way, having a seat at the table. And perhaps it's because I work in the organization where I am dealing with some of the biggest strategic clients in the EMEA. And then when anything happens, I do get a visibility of C-level executives. Mm-hmm. They, they jump on calls, they, they attend EBRs, for example. And as you said, it is about that power of what you are bringing to the whole organization. There is that huge understanding of it. So you do like that revenue component. If we are talking about different ways that customer success is organized, what do you see as different roles within customer success? Some might be revenue related, some may
1: not. So what are the trends that you're seeing? looking at a couple different, I'll say key focus areas for the role. And I think each role could include one of the focus areas or multiple of the focus areas. This idea of owning revenue is huge. That could mean just, hey, they're spending X amount now and we want to keep it, which oftentimes means maybe you're owning the renewals or things like that. It can also mean that growth or upsell component that we talked about. And really that's focusing on how do you bring in new products to the conversation? Are there ways that you can expand or have the customer better leverage the existing products? I think that there's also the potential for focusing on just this idea of proactive customer engagement, right? So are you figuring out what value-add activities can we work on to further drive customer conversations and engagement. A lot of times you might measure that not so much by dollars, but maybe fewer support tickets or higher MPS, getting them a little bit more comfortable on the platform. And then I think another one is really this idea of onboarding and enablement, getting customers onto your platform, better using your product offering, minimizing friction of, hey, this piece is confusing, right? Doing some of that ongoing training. And that can really be measured by looking at how are they strategically engaging with the tool? I think that there's a component of, hey, you know, if you maybe have seats or licenses, people are logging in. That's, I'd say, almost a base metric, but you really need to go beyond that of when they're logging in, are they getting strategic value out of the tool? Because every time that a renewal comes around or this tool comes up for evaluation, There's that discussion that's happening on the customer side of, are we getting the value for the money that we're providing? So really at the end of the day, no matter which flavor you're going with, and if it's one or multiple of the different variations, it's continuing to have this key focus on providing customer value. When we are talking about the customer value, when there are discussions
0: around the value of your product... What is the usual, the turn point of how much before the renewal, the customers will either continue with you or they already
1: made up their minds about something else? Sometimes that's what we're all searching for. And some of it depends on, I think, the customer structure. And some of it's the size of the company. If there's going to be procurement that needs to come in and help guide a renewal conversation, you have to be... To get a little bit more proactive in making sure that you're working with your main contacts to help tell that story because someone in the procurement organization might just be coming in focused on this renewal, but not actually have the context of here's all the things that we've accomplished over the last year. So actually working with your customer contact to build out a little bit of like a brag sheet or outlining your accomplishments to say, yes money in the financial discussion is always important. That's always going to be a piece of criteria that's going to need to be discussed. But taking it away from solely being a, hey, let's just continue to write this down and kind of a race to the bottom and really understanding, hey, we've impacted these things throughout the year. Maybe by using your tool, you've been able to be more efficient within the organization or reduce other expenses, really tying to what are those other business impacts. And being able to tell that story, I think, is hugely critical and getting ahead of any sort of renewal or value discussion.
0: I love your brag sheet. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Just developing your brag sheet. I, think I
1: love that motto. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, I would say, if possible, and I know it's not always, but one thing that I always encourage my team to do is try and drill down to numbers because I think it's easy to talk in generics, right? We saved you time here or your team became more efficient, but being able to really say it was a 10% thing here or we saved you a million dollars in this other cost. Those are really impactful numbers that when you can share back across the organization, it just helps remind them of the value of your tool and why they've invested in it. Thanks for bringing up
0: your team to the conversation, because I do know that you are very passionate about building strong teams, and you have done it a few times throughout your career. Tell me more about what is your approach in building teams?
1: I think that, for me, is one of the most fun parts of being in a leadership role, being able to bring people in really see them grow and develop in the role and continue to move up throughout the organization. And in order to do that, one of the things that we've really focused on is being clear about expectations for the role. That I mentioned, you know, our organization has evolved over the last couple of years as we've started it in terms of what we're responsible for and how we're measured. And so making sure that you are clearly communicating that to the existing members of the team and making sure that they're on board with the changes, right? It's going to fit their interest and skill set, but also evolving as you're looking at bringing in new members of the team. If you know that there's going to be a change, so in our circumstance, knowing that we were going to be taking on this ability to upsell and grow our customers as a key responsibility. That started to change our hiring profile a little bit, knowing that maybe more sales background or interest in negotiating becomes more of a skill set that's valuable versus maybe where we had ranked it in the past. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we've built out this idea of competencies for the organization. And what I mean by that is really looking at the core skill sets for what success means in our team. So for me, some of those things look like a level of ownership or collaboration. And looking at what are those key skills, I then can make sure that they're both reflected in the job description. So someone coming in knows that these key skills are going to be really important for success in the role. We build it into our interview process. So as we develop, hey, you're going to focus on these three competencies in your interview, and here are specific questions that we want you to get across so that we make sure it's consistent throughout the entire intake process of a candidate becoming an employee. And then once they're actually an employee, we actually still use those competencies to build into for a career path. So when I say ownership, someone who's a CSM versus a senior CSM, like that competency is consistent. It just means different things. As you continue to grow within the organization, there's higher expectations in regards to the competency, but they don't change because we feel like they're so key to success in the role and what we want to see demonstrated.
0: Wow, so you're having different types of roles that you are hiring for, and already in the hiring process, you are placing those competencies. So the candidates firstly know what to expect, you know how to get good skill set, and then they just know moving forward in their career, what they are expected to do almost at every stage. How did you come up with that approach?
1: A lot of it was actually an HR business partner that I had worked with who kept drilling this idea of competencies into my head. And we were still early on, so not quite there and thinking it through and building it out. But the message really started to resonate. And as I thought about, we want this to be a coordinated effort, a coordinated experience for our employees. I think a lot of times in customer success, we spend so much time focused externally on the customer that We can sometimes forget that the employee is in some ways my customer, the people on my team, that's who I'm trying to serve. And so making sure that that experience is really clear, we are setting the right expectations, expectation setting is such a critical skill for someone in customer success, I want to make sure I'm doing that with my team as well. So it took a little while of absorption to then build it in and make sure it was part of all of the different key components of the employee life cycle. But now that we have, I think it's really clear in setting that expectation up front and making sure that the people who come in and join the team know what we're going to be focused on and how they can best succeed. That also gives them a very
0: clear career path of what is required for each stage so they can know in advance that if they want to develop themselves in a particular direction, that's exactly what they should be aiming for, which is really wonderful setting expectations internally as well. I wonder, as you're building your teams, what are you doing for creating support and learning environment between the team members so
1: that you all can grow as a team? Yes, great question. I am very big on team learning. One of the great pieces of advice that I got as I was kind of growing in my leadership career was you have to stop being the expert. <laughs> and I've seen that over the last year or two. I've had to focus on some other things in terms of our growth and scaling and I am no longer the expert in our product and the new things coming to market and I'm really counting on my customer success team and the frontline leadership to be really focused on that. But as with any growing company, there's just this continued amount of things to learn. I was in sales enablement, so I'm all about learning and training. And that's a great way to continue to build your skill set. But we also have to acknowledge you need to have time to actually work with the customers too, that you can't be in training all day. So we've been having a lot of conversations on, you know, how do we leverage team members to learn and be support across the rest of the team and that could look like someone self-designating as a subject matter expert. I have a lot of experience in working with this product or in this situation given the book of business that I'm working with or where my customers have expressed interest and Having the rest of the team leverage them before we reach external within our org, maybe out to the product organization or technical support, really trying to keep some of that learning in-house. And then we also start to build that into our onboarding program. What are the key things that someone needs to know and how do we leverage the team to help be buddies as questions come up? but also focus on some of those key product or process and tool aspects that they need to know and walk them through that. As you are developing your
0: leadership skills and you are moving up, you need to delegate more. (laughs) And it's yeah. hard. <laughs> As you said, like, you can't be that expert in everything anymore. And I'm sure you would love to be, but there is not that much time in a day. And I also wonder because your frontline CSM will be the ones meeting customers and really working very closely with the customers. How do you make sure that you could have a balance of working internally and serving your customer success organization, but also serving your customers?
1: It's, A hard balance. I would say I'd love to be on more customer calls. I think probably anyone in leadership would say that. That's a lot of the fun, right, is interacting with those customers and being able to meet and understand their focuses. So for me, one of the things that I try and be clear about with the team is the types of interactions that I want to be involved in or engage with. Being super clear of, hey, if a customer's at risk, involve me in the conversation or things like that. So they get a little bit of guidance because I think that there's a balance between being involved and also empowering your team. You want them to be able to have the conversation. And I think that it's so critical that they feel like you have the trust in them to do that, right? I don't ever want to be the leader that I have to come and save the day all the time. They should have the ownership. Ownership's one of our competencies. So there's a big focus there. It's also not only being clear on, hey, these are the types of conversations that you know, hey, when it hits this escalation level, I want to be involved in, but also where do I feel like I'm adding value? What things can I talk about that maybe the CSM doesn't have as much of a viewpoint into, or just can't articulate just given some of the exposure meetings that I'm in? Maybe that's something more around our long-term vision, or given the fact that I've been at Fastly for so long, I can actually talk about our evolution for certain products or even our team overall. And so letting them know both, hey, I want to be involved in this, but you can also leverage me if you want me to cover these types of topics, gives them a little bit of leeway to figure out what are those best opportunities where I can engage. I really
0: love your concept of empowering your CSMs, but also being there to support and guide the overall team. And on another hand, you have customers who, well, let's face it, especially if there is some escalation in place, of course, that they just want to go as high as they could. <laughs> Do you have some nice anecdotes of what has been the most interesting or weirdest
1: request from your customers when you needed to be involved? Oh, um, weirdest request... I'd say probably most common, maybe I'll go there, is definitely around pricing, right? Where it's like, oh, our renewal is coming up or, hey, we've had a change in our business and we want this better pricing. And again, it's something that I love to let the CSMs handle, but it's also a really good opportunity for me to help provide some of that support but also because it gives me the ability to actually see the CSM in action. And one of the things of how I position getting involved in customer conversations internally with our team is that it provides that level of visibility so I can see someone shine. It gives me the ability to coach. When we talk about things like promotions and stuff, it's really hard for me to advocate for someone if I haven't seen them in action, if I haven't seen them doing the job. And so I try and remind the team of that too, is I'm not here to big brother, look over your shoulder, criticize everything you're doing. But it's when I do a one-on-one with you once a month, once a quarter, that's such a snippet of time that I can't Necessarily accurately speak to how you interact with customers. So, actually, getting that visibility is really helpful for me. And it allows me to then more successfully speak to my peers and leadership on, hey, this person's great at this. Or we were talking about leveraging people on the team for learning, right? Hey, you really understand this topic. Why don't you become a subject matter expert for the team? So, I think just Continuing to have that visibility through customer conversations allows me to better support the CSM.
0: I really like how you're flipping that whole higher leadership involvement into enabling CSMs and giving them the opportunity to shine and being there for their promotions and even coaching them. I have noticed that you are also a coach at Catalyst coaching corner what would you say is really the most important outcomes that someone should look for when they go into coaching so what is maybe the mindset that you would like as a coach your students coaches (laughs) to have
1: when they are approaching you i will say that i am a better coach than I am a coachy, <laughs> And I've kind of learned this about myself over my working time. But I think where I've struggled as mentee or coachy role is really knowing how to best leverage the relationship and what I'm trying to get out of it. From the flip side, as a coach, what I really encourage people that I work with to do is be really intentional about What do you want to use our time for? What are you trying to get out of it? Why me? And what skills or experience can I help share with you to get you to your end goal? So I think a lot of it comes down to being really clear on what you're trying to drive out of the relationship. And if you're clear on that, then... It will start to help you understand what structure makes sense. Maybe it's a one-time phone conversation. You say, hey, I have this current problem. I just want to talk through it with someone. And you talk through it. You're good. You can move on. And you don't need the multiple calls. Or maybe there's something where, hey, I'm trying to work on this skill that I got feedback on. Let's see how I progress over a set amount of time. And maybe in that circumstance, it makes sense to have more reoccurring calls. So I think being really intentional about what you're trying to get out of it, and then why specifically that coach or mentor and how they're going to help you do that.
0: Very often I'm hearing how, especially women, need mentors to succeed, how it's all about finding the proper mentor-mentee relationship. It just seems that it's something that will change your life or your career or everything else for the better. So (laughs) what has been your experience? How does it actually work in practice?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question because I agree. I feel like it's oftentimes seen as almost this holy grail of, oh, you get a mentor relationship. If only I got uh, a mentor, I would succeed. (laughs) I would know everything. Yeah, I'd get that promotion. I do think that having a mentor is extremely helpful, but I think it's also realizing what do you need again to that? You know, is it a one-time conversation versus something that's ongoing? But I do think that Connecting with people outside of your organization is really critical. So I think that you can have a mentor internal to your organization within your team or within the company, but oftentimes there's this ability of kind of everybody knows the same information. So you might look at it the same way. By branching out outside the company, you actually get maybe a different perspective or someone... Who's not going in with all of the same assumptions that you are because you're in those weeds day to day. And that actually helps you think about things from a slightly different perspective, or you can start to understand how does another organization do it? Because when you're doing your job, you're in your world, right? Of how your organization is set up. And maybe that's the best way. Maybe it's not. Um, And by getting some of those other opinions, I think it's really helpful to just get a more... Well rounded view of the world, whether you take that and adopt it or you just use it as learning, making connections external to your organization is critical and it doesn't have to be a long term relationship. One of the best things I've seen for myself is just connecting with people on LinkedIn or through various customer success Slack channels. I know you recently launched one, which is amazing, and finding those conversations where, where can you add value? And then where can you learn? I think the Slack channels are a really interesting option because you can be Say a little bit more of a lurker and still learn. You're not necessarily taking up someone's time specifically for you, but you can kind of see what are the conversations, what trends are people talking about, and still absorb some of that learning without having a one on one conversation. But I do think that the one on one conversations are still important. And so as you find people that you connect with on LinkedIn, you know, maybe they posted something that really resonated with you, being really intentional with your outreach to them of, hey, I saw this, it resonated, here's what I'd love to learn from you and making those connections because I think building your network is the key to continued learning and it might just unlock your next role or next career move. I
0: really love this whole lessons about how to be a good mentee because indeed I agree it's not about having a mentor and then meaning that now suddenly something will change. Because when you're reaching out to people, you're getting different perspective. And I even think there is so much value in just looking and seeking different perspective of your problem, your situation, than even reaching out to the same person for a certain amount of time. Perspectives can really help you. But also when we are talking about skills development, just having a call with someone on particular cadence, again, it doesn't actually allow that mentor to see you in action and see how you actually developed a particular skill. It's more about you explaining them and explaining situation. I think there is so much place for a coach, potentially executive coach, to really guide you through some development process. And on another hand, go and reach out to your network, find unofficial mentors so you can just really have different perspective that could help you. One thing that is becoming really interesting is talking about sponsorships or sponsors, having someone who is talking on your behalf or talking very positive about you when you're not in the room. Have you experienced something like
1: that? And how do you even go about having that person advocate for you? Yeah, I think sponsorship is really critical. And to your point, it's a little bit Fuzzy because a lot of sponsorship action is taking place when you're not there, so it's something that you have to trust in a little bit. Of have I done the work to set someone up successfully? And looking at my team, I feel like there's someone who has done a really great job in setting me up for a good position there. And one of the things that she does is she just shares little wins. So we use Slack internally and every other week or so I'll get a Slack and it's, hey, I just had this customer conversation and here's some feedback that they shared or hey, I've had a difficult time getting this meeting but we were able to and here's what worked. A lot of it is getting to that comfort level of being able to advocate for yourself because as we were talking about before, if someone's not with you on all of these different calls and experiences that you're demonstrating these skills, you don't necessarily know. And I know, especially for women, sometimes it's pushing yourself out of the comfort zone a little bit because it can feel like bragging or being a little bit too forward sharing, but making sure that people are seeing where those successes are, whether you feel comfortable sharing it via Slack, if you hold it all together and once a quarter sit down with your manager or someone that you know is going to be influential within the organization for whatever your goal is, whether it's a promotion or getting better connected to another piece of the organization, being able to kind of share some of those wins. But I think it really starts with advocating for yourself and enabling people who have that ability to then sponsor you really understand the work that you're doing. This is so powerful because women might not even be always comfortable sharing
0: their wins and successes or self-promote themselves. But when you're thinking of customer success, I'm sure that whenever there is escalation, whenever there is a risk, whenever there is something potentially negative happening, straight away, there is loads of visibility to the highest Mm -hmm. level. Of course, it needs to happen. So ladies out there, just make a habit to really write down great feedback that you're getting, those small successes on a regular basis so that you can just talk about them. Plus, it's not bragging when it's based on fact. It's just showing that there is loads of positives happening. So when someone is in a position to advocate for them they can actually say amazing things and not only remember escalations that
1: they've been taking part in. Absolutely. I love that. And making sure that you're tracking it, whether you're a first line CSM or anywhere in the leadership chain, I think being able to know your wins and being able to share those is so important. And then for those first line managers, creating that space for people to share the wins and letting them know it's both okay and maybe even expected that you want to hear what successes they've seen over the last month. One of the things that one of my first line managers does is on a monthly basis, we sit down and talk about everyone on the team just to make sure I'm in the loop with what's going on, where people are focused. And she actually has all of her team members fill out what were your wins for the month? Because she knows some, but maybe not all of them. And so making sure that people get that opportunity to share those successes in a way that you've kind of normalized, I think is really important. Love that.
0: Normalize successes even more than we normalize risks. Emily, this has been great. And for the end, what is the question that you wish other people would
1: ask you more often? That is a stumper. I think that I would like to be asked how I can help. And I think it goes back to this idea of sometimes leadership is scary, right? When it's like, oh, I'm going to have someone with this title in my meeting or they want to be involved. And I feel like oftentimes I ask my team, hey, where can I be involved? How can I help your account as a CSM? go flip the script, go ask your boss, how do they think that they can help? Where do they want to plug in? Where do they think that they can add value on accounts? Because it might be in ways that you aren't necessarily thinking about, but maybe they're super passionate on talking about a certain topic with customers and you can really leverage them for that. So I oftentimes ask the question and it could be really powerful to get that rebounded back. Emily's team, I hope you're writing notes.
0: (laughs) Emily, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure talking to
1: you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun.
0: Thank you for listening. Next week, I'm talking to Violaine Iziquel, Senior Manager of Customer Success at Slack. If you like today's episode, write a review on Apple Podcasts so others can easily find it. Subscribe now so you don't miss out of the following episodes. Have a great day and talk to you soon!